Before this season started, I expressed optimism about the seemingly limitless ceiling that this 2020 OU football team could maybe have. We saw bits and pieces of that potential in the first three games of the season, but unfortunately also saw that the young core of this team still had a long way to go in their disappointing losses to K-State and Iowa State. However, that ceiling was on full display Saturday night in Bedlam. OU jumped all over their little brother from the get-go and effectively ended the contest about 10 minutes after it already kicked off. I said on the podcast last week that this game would likely come down to the head coaches. I was half right. Lincoln Riley did not get cued as I feared, feeding Ramondre Stevenson consistently from the opening whistle and then taking shots downfield on an OSU defense that came in very determined to stop the GT counter. The coaching matchup in this game was not a contest. Riley ate Gundy's lunch consistently. Any insecurities that OU fans had about Lincoln Riley after the first few games can be put to bed for now, and in terms of the head coaches, this was not a fair fight at all. But here's the rub. The coaching matchup didn't really end up mattering all that much. For all the talk about Oklahoma State's defense and offensive weapons like Tylen Wallace and Chuba Hubbard, the most glaring thing to me on Saturday night was that none of that mattered a lick. OU just has way more good football players than Oklahoma State does. Period. Sometimes we can be paralyzed by overanalysis. This podcast is certainly guilty of that from time to time. But in reality, this game was over as soon as Ronnie Perkins was no longer suspended. This game was over as soon as Ramondre Stevenson was no longer suspended. This game was over when Spencer Rattler decided to sign with Oklahoma. This game was over when Perry and Winfrey and Nick Benito decided to sign with Oklahoma. Little brother will always be little brother. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. Sooners nose on the red zone, leading 7-0. Rattler rolls right, looking, lobs. Henderson turns the corner. He's got room. Touchdown! Mikey Henderson! And the Sooners come out in Bedlam and throw a right punch and a left. All right, Mikey Henderson's first quarter touchdown put the Sooners up 14-0 Saturday night in Norman. Oklahoma would jump out to a 21-0 first quarter lead before eventually going on to beat OSU 41-13 in what was the Sooners' sixth straight win in Bedlam. What's up, everybody? I'm Lee Benson. You heard Grant at the top of the show with his opening take today. We will bring him back here in a moment, but before we do that, we'd like to thank all of you who continue to listen and support the show here in our fourth season of Talking Oklahoma Football here on West of Everest. You can like the West of Everest Facebook page to stay up to date with all the goings-ons with the podcast schedule, although I do apologize for not posting a three-word reviews prompt on the Facebook page after the game on Saturday. Did put one up on Twitter, so we'll run through all of those three-word reviews here in a moment. And speaking of Twitter, you can follow Grant at GrantBenson25. I am at LeeBensonNews9. And uh, Saturday's game was a little bit different for me because I was able to to watch the game at home like a lot of you surely do, which allowed me to tweet a little bit more during the action, which was kind of a nice change of pace. Uh, This week, we'll be back in the office at News 9 when Oklahoma goes to Morgantown, not traveling with the Sooners on... uh, on this particular weekend, unfortunately. Uh, We'll talk about that matchup in the latter portions of the show. All right, so 
You know, about one time per year, Grant and I get to do a podcast when we're sitting in the same room together, and that's what's going on this week. He made the trip from Minnesota to Oklahoma for Thanksgiving, so we are recording this Tuesday night, and uh, Grant, you were telling me that you might try to go to the Oklahoma men's basketball season opener tomorrow on Wednesday against UTSA. Is that uh, still up in the air for you, or what do you know? OU men's basketball fever, baby. Catch it. Uh, yeah, I think I might try to go. I'm a, I'm kind of a closeted OU basketball fan at times. Uh, you know, typically I like to early in the season I like to see you know what they got and uh, I don't know. Uh, the one year I was at OU at at OU Lee, I loved going to uh, those OU basketball games with Blake Griffin and and Willie Warren and Tony Crocker, that entire crew. And so I don't know. I got a good feeling about this year's uh, OU. Uh, basketball team I, th- I think they're going to be kind of good like surprisingly good like like maybe like top four seed line good in the NCAA tournament that's my hot take hmm. I think uh, when we first started this podcast back in 20 before the 2017 season there was a couple episodes in the latter portions of the year when we would kind of talk about OU basketball at the end of shows and then we just kind of didn't was that uh that was the Trey Young year I think so that was probably why we talked a little bit of Trey Young but yeah when they were like in the non-conference it was like oh my god they're like one of the five best teams in yeah. the country and then once Big 12 play started they were decidedly not yeah yeah well interesting uh, I'll be working on Wednesday night and um, watching from afar the uh, OU game of course and then Oklahoma State also opens I got Cade Cunningham who is uh potentially gonna be the number one pick in the draft next year so if you're an Oklahoma fan, you probably, I'm sure everyone probably has heard of Cade Cunningham if you're a basketball fan. He's pretty good. He's supposed to be pretty good. So uh, the both teams could be somewhat interesting. He don't winter. want none of that Brady Manic smoke at all. Gosh. Beware. Uh, okay, so we were going to open up the show like we normally do with three-word reviews. We're going to push that back a little bit because as um, a little bit before we started recording tonight, the first college football playoff rankings came out for this year and the past couple of seasons well, the last ever since we've done this podcast the first reveal of the playoff rankings have been a pretty big deal because Oklahoma at that time of the year has still been a, you know in position to make the playoff this season not so much the Sooners have lost two games it would take a lot of crazy things to happen for Oklahoma to make it but uh, it's somewhat interesting that Oklahoma is what 11th in the rankings grant and you were uh, earlier at dinner you were kind of going over some p- potential teams at Oklahoma if all things go right could leapfrog uh kind of game game theorying it out in a way yeah I don't want to go I don't want to go too deep into it because I mean a lot has to happen and you know admittedly I'm not going to get as heated about the playoff this year as I was last year you guys can go back and listen to the archives I got I got pretty heated at times um but yeah I mean just looking at where they are right now they're 11th um if they went out and win the big 12 championship they are almost certainly going to, at the very least, be one of the last two teams out of the playoff. If you just kind of go through, uh, you know, Miami is number 10. They're 7-1, and one, but I don't, uh, you know, unless they win an ACC championship game, I, I, I would assume that Oklahoma would jump them. Georgia at 5-2 and two is number 9. They're, I don't even think they can get to the SEC championship game, so OU would jump them. Uh, Northwestern at 5-0. and oh. You know, I mean, who knows? They're not going to have a lot of games, and you know, presumably they're not going to win the Big Ten championship. And then you, then you got kind of the interesting team, Cincinnati at eight and zero. I think it's probably going to be pretty tough for OU to jump them, um, unless some weird stuff happens. Uh, but then the other SEC teams, Florida and A and M, round out number six and number five. And you know, only one team can win the SEC, and 
I don't know. We'll see. I, 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 I'm not expecting anything. Um, I, I think it's a pretty huge long shot still. But I, I don't know. I mean, it wouldn't be a terrible thing if you could say, hey, you know, they, they started the season with, you know, losing two of their first three and they fought back to, you know, get to the last two out of the playoff. I think that'd be a pretty successful and uh, a, a nice year, you know, uh, relative to where they were at the end of September. It reminds me a little bit. I think you go back to our our episodes after Oklahoma started one and two this fall. And I think you and I were talking about how as long as they stayed engaged and as long as they didn't just kind of give up on the year. And that what I meant by that is, you know, like the covid stuff, they don't just everyone gets covid and then all their good players are out and they care and they actually practice. They, you know, they have enough. Uh, they have plenty of talent to be really good. And everything has worked out at this point. But I remember us talking back again after they started one and two and it was like yeah, best case scenario for this year could be something like 2016 when they started this year with two early losses but then won every single game the rest of the year and made a uh, kind of a push for the playoff it was a long shot but it was one of those things where if a two team a, a two loss team was going to get in it was going to be Oklahoma and they they were one of the I think I think they were either five or six at the end of that season as far as you know, getting close there's always like, seeming like one two loss team that's either you know five or six and just barely missing out on the playoffs and it seems like that that's what's uh in Oklahoma's future if they take care of business the rest of the way very similar year to 2016 yeah and, I, and I've you know I, I've gotten some 2016 vibes just the last month or so of the season it's it's very very similar you know after after they started that season one and two uh outside of a couple games that were kind of some butt clinchers they were uh they were dominant. They were just kind of like a freight train going through the Big 12. Um, and by the end of that season, I was very comfortable with saying that they probably were one of the four best teams in the country. Um, and of course, that momentum carried over into 2017. Um, and you know what? If you know, After how this season started, if we can say something similar at the end of this year, man, that's a, that's a successful year. I, I, I really think it is. Absolutely. It'd be, it's, it's really exciting. And uh, just looking at the the rankings right now, again, Oklahoma number 11, top four, Bama, Notre Dame, Clemson, Ohio State, A&M. It seems like A&M is always right around the top five in the first iteration of the college football playoff, and then they end up losing some games, and they're never a factor down the stretch. <laughs> now, <laughs> Lee, we've kind of, uh, you and I have kind of talked about this like off the air, just kind of sort of as a, as a, as a fun conversation, but I just want to bring it up here. Um how how realistic do you think it is that OU would maybe look to schedule a non-conference game in that bye week before the Big 12 championship game? Yeah, it's an interesting discussion. I would like to think they'd love to, and it's all about finding a team that would be just as excited as Oklahoma. And the reason why I say that is... Obviously, they're playing two fewer games this year because of all the COVID stuff. So instead of 12, they're playing 10. So was, they're already shortened. So why not try to add an extra one to get as close to the regular 12 games as possible? After the Bedlam game, Lincoln Riley said, man, I, I wish we had 10 more games with these guys because it's just it's real fun. They're playing really well. They're getting better. It's that time of the year. It's it's a cliche at this point, but it's true. It's championship November. Oklahoma doesn't lose in November these days. So Riley made the comment that, yeah, I mean, he wants to play a bunch more games. He talked today on Tuesday during his press conference uh, about how early in the year and there's those rumors about, you know, before Missouri State and then before K-State and stuff. And uh, he didn't say any games specifically, but he did say that there were some games early in the seasons that uh, early in the season that they could have not played because of COVID stuff. But 
they uh, the way the program is, the message they want to send to their players is that if we have enough guys and it's safe to play, we're going to play. We're not going to say no. We're not going to back out. And that mentality to me is telling me, okay, then if the opportunity presents itself, hopefully Lincoln Riley is thinking, yes, let's add more games because why not? They've already lost two games. They have nothing to lose. Uh, the players want to keep playing. There's no doubt the players would love to play as many games as possible. So uh, I know there's been there's reports last week about BYU and um, Washington uh, you know, potentially matching up. And I think the report was that BYU kind of nixed it. Granted, I didn't go and, and read the story, so there's probably details that I don't know about that I didn't read, so that's my fault for being, being one of the headline people. But at least it's a thing out there where, where teams are potentially trying to schedule other games. And you mentioned it. There's a bye week between uh, the Big 12 title, especially if Oklahoma doesn't make the Big 12 title because uh, contrary to what some people might think, technically Oklahoma does not control its own destiny right now. Even if they went out, there are still some, uh, some scenarios where they, they wouldn't make the title. But even if Oklahoma doesn't make the Big 12 title, that – even better to try to schedule a game after uh, that Baylor game. So I, I hope it's something that's definitely on the table. Yeah, I want to I want to reiterate that this is there's no reports saying that they're they're looking to do this or anything. I'm I'm kind of speaking this into existence right now. Right, yeah. Um, I, I I just think it makes sense. Like, just I, I want to throw out just kind of the hypothetical here. You know, let's say let's say OU you know comes out this Saturday in Morgantown and is really impressive again. You know, at night in prime time. And you see a little, they get a bit of a bump in the playoff rankings. I'm certain, like, how could that not at least pass through the the head of Castiglione and Riley? Like, to, to think of, you know, let's let's get BYU on the phone. Let's get USC or Oregon on the phone. Um, especially for, you know, those Pac-12 you know, those pack 12 teams, that could be a mutually beneficial deal for them um, as well. So, I don't know. I really, really hope that at least that idea is, is, is kind of going around their heads a little bit because I think that'd be a lot of fun. I think it'd be cool. Yeah, again, I'm, I'm glad you pointed that out. It's not like, uh, again, this is not a thing that has even been discussed. Uh, I, I I told you earlier tonight, uh, next week, if I get a chance to, to ask Lincoln Riley a question and it hasn't been brought up at all yet, I might ask him about this and be be the person to randomly bring it up and, and see if uh, he likes that or not. I don't know. And but, like, uh, I'm, I'm assuming there's no... Like maybe the Big Twelve would have to like approve it or something like that, but I don't think there's any rules about not being able to play non-con games because everyone already did. So um, I don't know. I I just think it would be interesting and in such a weird season, why not make it happen? I I I I honestly cannot imagine that the logistical challenges are that much. There's there's no one in the stands. I I can't imagine it's that big of a deal. And so what made you start to think about this? Was it was it because of that report about how BYU and Washington were maybe going to play? Or? Yeah, it was, it, it was actually, it was originally the report about the Pac-12 just kind of, uh, you know, turning around and saying, yeah, we are going to allow our members to schedule non-conference games um, because, because why not? And obviously they're, they're, they're allowing that because they want to put themselves in position to make the playoff. And so why shouldn't OU do the same thing? Yeah, I mean, that extra data point would obviously benefit the Pac-12 a lot more than maybe uh, well, it, it benefited in Oklahoma, too, obviously, with two losses if Oklahoma keeps playing well. And on his conference call on Monday, the Big 12 teleconference call, he was uh, Riley was asked about the playoff and all that stuff. And it happens every year, obviously. And it I think we've talked about this a lot in previous years. And I'm not, I think you don't you don't like this term at all. But uh, Riley mentioned that in his mind, the eye test is probably the the best way to go about this playoff thing this year because there's so many unknowns and 
uh, teams that don't play as many games and uh, there's there's teams that don't play and no very few non-conference games and so uh, Riley was pushing that you know it's he's I mean he to clarify he's like yeah it's not easy it's difficult it's like an impossible thing but the eye test should probably factor in a lot more than maybe it has in the past. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's something that you're not a big eye test guy, I don't think, right? No, I, I, I hate the eye test metric because everyone plays a schedule. Everyone is beholden to that schedule. And at some point in time, the results have to matter. That's why I'm not super, I, I'm not going to be super upset or anything like that if OU's not in the playoffs. They lost to Kansas State and Iowa State. Kansas State's not a good football team. Um, and you know, Iowa state is, is kind of who they are. That was still not a good loss. So, uh, you know, yeah, but in, in such a weird season where every, nobody is going to even be playing remotely close to the same amount of games. Um, you know, for instance, like I just, um, one of the things that I'm thinking, like friends, let's say, let's say USC or Oregon go six and O and they're PAC 12 champions. This is not something that I've really been able to articulate well, uh, like my feelings towards it. But I just feel like if a six and O Pac twelve team made the playoff over a nine and two OU team, that just wouldn't be right. Playing five less games, there's just something about that that just that seems a, a little a little iffy to me. Um, and, and honestly, I'm kind of feeling the same way about the Big Ten. I mean, like Ohio State is going to play what max seven eight games now, mm-hmm. and yeah. Um, and yeah, like and. and and I did say, kind of before the season started, before when the Big Ten came back, I said that everyone should graciously kind of accept them back. Um, but I also did say, I said the caveat, I said if an undefeated Ohio State wins the Big Ten, you know, I, I think they should be in the playoff. But, I, I mean, I don't know. What if what if Ohio State only plays six or seven games? I, I really don't know if they would deserve it in that situation. Um, but also, I, I don't know. I, I also wouldn't definitively say that, oh, you would deserve it also. It, it, it definitely is a tough situation. Well, right now, it's, it's a great time for, for us, for Lincoln Riley, for everybody wearing crimson and cream because Oklahoma's playing such good football right now. Oklahoma's playing perhaps some of the best football in college football. I mean, they, they, I mean granted, if they still wind up and played Bama or Clemson uh, to, you know, tomorrow, I mean, they'd, they'd get beat. I mean, they ain't beating those guys right now. Yeah, but, I don't want any of that smoke. But still, I mean, this is the best Oklahoma's played all year, no doubt about it. Uh, the, the defense is not a disaster like it has been the last few years. Uh, even back to that 2016 year, we're talking about how it's very similar. The defense wasn't very good in 2016. It wasn't, it wasn't as bad as it was in 2018. Uh, honestly, it wasn't even as bad as it was in 2017 at times. And, but in 2016, it, there, there was some disaster games, obviously. But the, the upside is, is even better in 2020 now because the defense is playing well and a lot of young guys are there. So, uh, but, but the point I was going to make, though, is that uh, it's a good thing to be Oklahoma right now because Riley can say, I test, I test, I test. And who does that benefit right now for I test? His team. Absolutely. And if it stays that way and they keep ranking teams or in, in his mind, if they rank teams based more on the eye test and they weight that a little heavier than everything else, that's going to benefit Oklahoma. And I've been saying it for a month now. I think Lincoln Riley is, even though it's a long shot, he's going to try to position his team the best way possible to make the college football playoff because that is his job. His job is to, is to position his team to get to the, 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 the furthest place they possibly can every single year. At, th- at this point, Lee, it's um – with the rankings just coming out tonight, we're recording this on Tuesday night, and them being 11th, it's no longer ludicrous to talk about it. Uh, they're there, and they're like they're the highest-ranked Big 12 team. And if they were to win out, um, and you know things were you know we're gonna fall their way, and they played in the Big 12 championship game, 
we know that 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 conference championship carries a lot of weight in that room. Um, but of course, just with this year and and you know how crazy and how uneven all the schedules are, you know, does that weight relative to everything else carry you know carry the day? I don't know. I have no idea. I do know that if you know if we get down to December nineteenth and the picture is clear and and teams have played a lot of games or whatever. I mean, I'm going to be consistent with my with my talking points from the last three seasons. You know, if 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 if, if the resume stacks up, um, then I'll I'll argue for OU to be in there. But if it's not, I'm going to say they don't deserve to be in there. So, um, we'll we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, the last thing on this, probably not going to go anywhere, and it's just picking nits. But uh, it's fun to talk about. Uh, I'm looking at the the rankings. Uh, Tulsa is 25. I think Tulsa is absolutely deserving to be in the the college football playoff rankings at at 25. That's fine. Iowa in the Big Ten with fewer games is three and two. And Let's look at Iowa's schedule. I haven't seen them play. They okay. They're they're on a three game winning streak. They've lost to Purdue and Northwestern. They've beaten Michigan State, who is terrible. They beat Minnesota, who probably played what maybe their best game last week, and they they still got pretty lucky and, and beat uh, Purdue. And they uh, they just beat Penn State by twenty, who is terrible this year. Uh, the, the college football playoff committee couldn't throw a Big Twelve a bone and throw West Virginia in the top twenty five at five and three. Couldn't couldn't throw them a bone, huh? Had to put Iowa there, huh? Yeah, I seriously. But I mean, if if you know, what is what are the metrics they like? They really like those those wins over the top twenty five that they create themselves. Mm-hmm. And as of right now, OU's got two wins over over teams in the top twenty five. And I mean, the most amount of games anyone has played in this poll is nine. And I got to think that two wins, two top twenty five wins, probably stacks up pretty well with everyone else right now. All right. On to three word reviews and uh, our discussion of the OU dominant win over Oklahoma State. Um, all right, so we're going to begin with your three word reviews from uh, you know OU over OSU from Twitter because again I forgot to put the Facebook prompt up. Uh, I think we got one or two messages on Facebook. I put one up on Tuesday afternoon, so kudos to you all, uh, you all who uh, saw that and, and added some more. But most of them are from Twitter, and that's fine. And the first one is from my friend Nick, who uh, he's not an OU fan, as far as I know, uh, but a uh, good buddy of mine. I believe he is a fan of uh, WWE and uh, wrestling, that whole scene. I, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm very ignorant when it comes to that stuff. I, I don't know. But the reason why I say that is uh, his three-word review is uh, JR's Barbecue, at JR's Barbecue, the Twitter handle, Football Finest. So obviously he's very aware that uh, Jr. is a OU guy and uh, Jr. very popular uh, wrestling announcer and uh, so kind of a uh, jokey three word review to start it. So Nick, appreciate that. Do you know about uh, wrestling at all? It's like that was something that we just we never got into that stuff. We never got into wrestling. Um, I, yeah, yeah. It's one of those things where it's like I, I don't want to crap on things, you know, crap all over things that people like. But yeah, we we never got into that and and quite. Quite frankly, I, I don't understand the appeal. I, yeah, I, I don't feel like we missed out on anything. Um, all right, so the next three-word review for my coworker Ryan at News 9, at Ryan Welton. Uh, he, goes, he goes simple and, and basic and, and correct. Complete team win. Uh, very good. Josh, a, a frequent three-word review and a frequent listener to West of Everest, said, <laughs> uh, still big brother. And um, I, I know you kind of touched on it a little bit in your opening take. 
about how we, you know, we analyze the the game before and like that's what you, people come to this podcast for to break down the X's and O's and and you know, get into the nuance of the game. But a lot of your opening take, right, and is essentially this that Oklahoma just has better players and Oklahoma is big brother. And like this is and if if you've listened to this podcast too, you know, over the last four seasons, you know that whenever Oklahoma State is kind of brought brought up in the context of playing OU, I always just kind of poo-poo it a little bit and sort of wave it off. And last, you know, Saturday night's game is why. That 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 just it just wasn't fair. OU has a lot better players. They just do. And they always do and they always have. And of course there's some years where Oklahoma State is going to be able to steal one, st- uh, you know, maybe steal uh, two in back-to-back years as they did in the early 2000s. But the thing is, Lee, it's always a fluke or a flash in the pan. <laughs> like, it just go, you know, go through 01 and 02. Uh, 01 was was a fluke. 02 was kind of a flash in the, pan, flash in the pan. Uh, you know, 2011 was definitely a flash in the pan, the best Oklahoma State team of all time. Um, and then 2014, of course, the re-kick to Tyreek Hill. Um, but everything else, I mean, this it's just it's domination. And the reason why rivalries like this are so lopsided and one-sided is because one team has all the players and the other team doesn't. And that's, just, that's I mean, hashtag analysis. There you go. <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's the good news, Oklahoma State fans, if you might be listening. When your team does win, how great does it feel? Isn't it awesome? It's a lot. I bet it feels a lot better than when, when Oklahoma wins. Because Oklahoma wins all the time. Hey, I actually, I'm the Oklahoma State fans here. You know, I'm I'm actually on the on I'm on the other side of a rivalry a rivalry like that as well. Um, you know, my I, I'm an alumnus of the University of Minnesota, and you know we we play in the longest standing rivalry game in the history of college football. And over the last 20 years, 20 30 years, that game has just been utterly dominated by Wisconsin. And Minnesota won for the very first time two seasons ago, and it felt great. It felt great. And now that game's not taking place <laughs> this year, right? Oh, yeah, they did. Yeah, they, they called it. <laughs> it it's just over. got canceled today. Oh, boy. So, yeah, for, for one year, Paul Bunyan's axe will, will not be played for. Oh, well. <laughs> All right, more three-word reviews. Let's go to Gonzo Strangelove. He's always good for a few three-word reviews. Uh, even though he's kind of cheating on this one, but uh, he goes Jekyll and Hyde O line. First and fourth, uh, his, his explanation is the first and the fourth quarter offensive line was solid. Second and third quarter offensive line looked like they couldn't collectively collectively bend a cooked noodle. Uh, all right, so let's let, let's go. He's got a couple more, but let's let's talk about that. The offensive line. You said you rewatched the game. Did you get the whole way through? Yeah, I only got through the first half. In the rewatch, unfortunately. So that would be the first and second quarter. And just, I mean, obviously I watched it live. I, and again, I mean, Gonzo Strangelove knows his stuff. Uh, at Gonzo Strangelove. He, he's usually pretty, uh, I guess, let's see, I'm trying to think of a, a good word, but I can't think of one right now. But he's, he's usually pretty on point. So I, I'm not going to say he's, he doesn't know what he's talking about here. But I, I, I will just say I didn't notice it jumping off the, the you know during the game live and the first and second quarter of like man the offensive line in some portion of this game is not looking that great I I think sometimes you just got to tip your cap to the Oklahoma State and I mean they clearly sold out to stop the run for a a large portion of the game and and it worked from time to time but also then that that made them a little bit more just uh, you know susceptible on the back end Uh, Grant you watched the whole game you know through again is this uh, three-word review does it seem fair to you 
Well, I mean, Lincoln Riley kind of kind of agrees with Gonzo a little bit. Um, one little small thing I did see from his presser the last couple of days, he did he did make a small little mention that you know there there were some you know periods of play during that game that just weren't great. Um, and he's right, yeah. the The middle portion of the game, the offense was was not was not great at all. I thought they left some stuff on the field. Um, and yeah, the the offensive line I, I thought didn't have their best game. Uh, you know, blocking up the run. But there was a lot of reasons for that. One of one of those reasons is Oklahoma State, which is a veteran, experienced defense. They made a point to to make that that GT counterplay really difficult on Oklahoma in this game. And for large portions of this game, they they succeeded. There were a lot of times where the offensive line was blocking against you know blocking against more guys up front. Oklahoma State really did load the box in this game. They were sending guys after that GT counter. They attacked it really aggressively. Um, so I, I don't know if they if they weren't expecting that or, or or whatnot, but yeah, I mean, you could tell basically until the fourth quarter. At, at times, they struggled to get the run game going. Kind of the first three quarters, their run game really was kind of Ramondre just making do with what he had. Um, but it worked. It worked. They they kept pounding it. They kept pounding it, and then by the time of the fourth quarter, they started breaking stuff. I, that's that's how this that's how this stuff works. And I'm so glad that Lincoln Riley kept with it. Because you, you got the result that you got because of that. Lincoln Riley on Tuesday during his uh, West Virginia pressers, so the day we're recording this, he said that, uh, to Gonzo Strangelove's point, he said, offensively, there is an entire quarter of the game where we were poor across the board. We missed things in the run game, certainly in the throw game. Uh, he said there, it was musical chairs as far as errors go. So uh, You think that's probably the third quarter he's talking about? He wasn't specific, but because um, the second quarter they stood, they had a couple of field goal drives where they still, you know, drove it down to get a field goal. Um, in the third quarter, I don't even know if they crossed midfield. So yeah, maybe yeah, it must have been the third quarter, and I, I didn't get that far on the rewatch. So um, wait, they actually did cross uh, midfield in the third quarter. Lee, we were talking about this the other day. Um, they crossed. They just crossed midfield. On that uh, on that TJ Pleasure like wildcat play, and that was on third down. And what happened after that was a Gabe Burkich missed field goal. That was in the third quarter. That was in the third. Yeah, quarter. I never I never got to that part. Yeah, that was. Uh, I guess we can talk about it now because uh, uh, one of the big things for you going into the game, and not just you, a lot of a lot of you know people that watch OU football and have have done for years, you didn't want Lincoln Riley to get cute. You wanted Lincoln Riley to give the ball to Ramondre Stevenson and and let him do things. And by the way, Ramondre Stevenson touched the ball 29 times in the game. Lincoln Riley wasn't going to mess around. He, he knows that his best player on offense, aside from Spencer Rattler, is Ramondre Stevenson, and he, he showed that. But the, the one time in the game that stood out pretty blatantly where he got quote-unquote cute was that, that call uh, on third down, not having Ramondre in the game, and then going uh, to a wildcat snap to TJ Pledger, who I think he ended up maybe even losing a yard. That that was your typical got a little bit cute there, and it, it cost him maybe some points because yeah you said he missed a field goal and uh, it's one of those things I think what they were up by a couple of scores so it's if Oklahoma was tied or even a one score game is Ramondre on the field there I think he is but I I think and I was talking to you about this off the air it's it's easy to say that. Every single play, Ramondre should get, be in there. Theo Wee should be in there. Marvin Mims, all the all the number ones should be in there. Every single play, and I get that. I get that. But when you do have a little bit of margin and there is a little bit of breathing room, 
there's nothing wrong with getting everybody in because all these guys practice all week and they put, you know, they work their butts off. And Lincoln Riley and, and Alex Grinch and Kale Gundy and you know, all the position, other position coaches, they, they want to reward these guys by giving them snaps out there. And even though it's easy to, to want the number one guys out there every single time, I understand when they're not out there. And I mean, it's not just Oklahoma. Every school, for the most part, does things like this because you have, have you have to have depth and you have to get your players out on the field because they practice too and they're part of the team as well. So I think that that's my opinion. I I, I think that's why you kind of see certain things like this happen every once in a while. Well, yeah. I mean, I I know you can't. I it's it's not wise to to have Ramondre as your only guy. You know, I'm I'm fine with a change of pace to TJ Pleasure every now and then, and that's what we saw in this game. Uh, but I, I think it's fair to say... And also and to Mikey Henderson. And to Mikey, yeah, of course. Like, I, I don't think it's too much to ask in that situation. And you're right, that, that was Lincoln Riley getting cute with the, with the TJ Pleasure Wildcat. If you're going to do that, why not run it with Mikey Henderson? Who, I, you, you said earlier this week when we were talking privately, um, and this, if, if this game is any indication, Lincoln Riley's basically telling us that Mikey Henderson is, is RB2 on this team. Yeah, I, I think, I, I really do think that Mikey Henderson, it, and he I, should I, be like I don't think he's going to be getting, you know, seven to nine carries a game, kind of like Pledger's getting or whatever. But I do have this sneaking suspicion if it's you know the games are tighter, and Ramondre's spent, and Ramondre's been out there for the last nine ten plays. I, I think Lincoln Riley would probably prefer to put Mikey in there at running back because I mean we've seen him. It's not like he hasn't played running back this year he, he's gotten carries as running back he got one against Oklahoma State just because it's I think it's pretty clear and very small sample size he's he's kind of different he's he hits the hole he looks really good uh, I mean you know maybe if he got more carries like like Pledger has got more carries and McGowan's got more carries maybe then when the sample size was bigger maybe he, he'd struggle I don't know maybe it just happens to be that small sample size he's just hitting it and we're being sold a bill of goods, but I don't, I don't think so. I, I, I don't think that's what it is. I, I think if that was the case and if Lincoln Riley thought that was the case, he wouldn't keep giving him the football in somewhat high leverage situations. Yeah, I know it's, it's uh, I don't think it's any sort of coincidence at all. I mean, this was obviously the biggest game of the season and this was the most that we've seen of Mikey Henderson. Uh, you can read between the lines there. They obviously really like him and he's going to be a big part of this team probably going forward this season as well. Um, and of course, I mean, everyone watching the game, we all have eyes. We can see Mikey Henderson is a much better runner than TJ Pleasure. I mean, Mikey that's... Henderson touched the ball. Sorry to interrupt you. Henderson touched the ball six times in the game. TJ Pleasure touched it seven times. Okay, so maybe, uh, yeah, I- I'm not sure. But uh, Man, that, this, that, that's probably the closest it's been, though, between the two is my point. Probably, I mean, but yeah, I mean, it's... And you know, when Mikey Henderson touched it, he showed things, and, and coaches are going are gonna to see that and realize it as well. And I'm sure he's going to be built into the game plan now, you know, moving forward. So, and, and of course, we you can't discount, you know, TJ Pleasure does do all of the things that he's asked to do. It, it's it's very clear that he understands, you know, how to how to pass protect. He understands, you know, you know where he's supposed to be in the pass game, and, and also and stuff like that. And so that could also be a factor for Mikey Henderson as well. Um, kind of the nuances of the running back position, and it looks like I, I don't. I don't know if he's technically a running back. I think is he. St- I think he's still listed as an H back. And uh, yeah, Mikey is. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's just. But the thing is, the good things happen when he's got the ball in his hands, and he is big, and he's fast, and he's hard to tackle. 
And those are things that TJ Pleasure is decidedly not. Um, so we'll see going forward just kind of what the distribution looks like. Let me correct myself. Pleasure had eight touches. I, uh, I missed. He had one uh, catch on a screen pass where he lost yardage. So uh, eight touches for Pleasure, six for Henderson. And I want to give credit, I think, Eddie Radosevich in his uh, in the Sooner Scoop postgame pod. It was either Eddie or, or Carey who brought this up. Uh, and and it's a it's a good point uh, when they did after the game. We're talking about Mikey Henderson, TJ Pledger. The fact that Henderson got those carries, we didn't see Seth McGowan. We didn't see Marcus Major. So I I, I think that's also showing you that. I mean, and also uh, Braden Willis isn't lining up in a in a two back set. Uh, Austin Stogner wasn't doing that when he was in there. Uh, Jeremiah Hall does. So like I mean, Hall and, and Mikey are kind of the same type of type of player. Uh, but Hall is not getting those those running back type carries like. Uh, Henderson is so I, I think based on the actions and this is to your point there they're, Lincoln Riley's kind of telling us what he thinks about Mikey Henderson and the other running backs to boot to be honest and, and I think I mean historically as well you know as the season goes on that running back rotation gets tighter I mean that certainly was the case last season um, you know last season all we saw at the end we saw mostly Kennedy Brooks but we would see Ramondre kind of sprinkled in there as well. Probably not nearly enough as we should have just because they kind of historically really tighten up that rotation. So, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. We'll, we'll see going forward. I just, I I think I, I kind of speak for everybody when I, you know, I really want to see Stevenson and Henderson on the field at the same time. I'd, I'd like to see that uh, going forward a lot because it's just, th- those are two guys in the backfield who are kind who are different. I, they, they are different body types but they are both large and fast and hard to tackle. And I, I just, man, throw those guys out there as much as, feasible, uh, as, much as it's feasible. At some point in his career, is uh, Mikey Henderson going to go by Mike when he grows up a little bit? I hope not. <laughs> is that how that works? I don't know. Um, all right, more from Gonzo Strangelove. He provided a few more three-word reviews. He says, is this defense? Uh, defense played very well. Uh, Gundy lacks fire. I think that's a fair criticism. We can we can get into Mike Gundy and, and some of his questionable calls if, if we'd like. And then uh, lastly, and there's another topic worth discussing, Buki don't learn. Uh, another uh, egregious uh, dead ball penalty against Brendan Radley-Hiles in that game. Uh, we're going to talk about the defense tons. Um, Mike Gundy, it's just... It's so bizarre. Like he has that reputation of being very conservative in Bedlam, and then he he keeps doing it. <laughs> he keeps he keeps doing conservative things. It's like you have nothing to lose, man. I mean, you've only beaten Oklahoma what twice. You go into every single game as a as an underdog, whether or not you're an underdog, actually, you know, in a, a true underdog or not. You just are. You have nothing to lose. Like you know, have fun, do stuff, and uh, the the big. The big uh, there's two big plays that stand out. There was uh, and I saw this in the second quarter when I was rewatching the game, and I thought it was later in the game, but uh, I guess it was only in the second. Oklahoma State in the red zone, third down and seven, and he turns and hands off to Chuba Hubbard, and Chuba slips, falls down, loses a few yards, and they kick a field goal with uh, their backup kicker, who actually did a really nice job. Their backup kicker because Alex Hale got hurt pregame, and uh, I know OSU fans were. It's so conservative. Just why you're running the ball there on third down? And in my mind, it well, it's obvious. I mean, they have a backup kicker. They have, they have no idea if he can kick really or not, or they they have a vague idea if they can kick. But this is bedlam, a uh, lot of pressure. Plus, we're going to need touchdowns to beat Oklahoma. It's third down and seven. 
we're going to run the ball here on third down because it's four down territory and we're going to make this a more manageable fourth down when your quarterback is Shane Illingworth not as good as the starter which I know you might we could have a discussion on that later Grant but uh, my problem with that play is that they handed the ball to Chuba Hubbard and not LD Brown because uh, on Monday Gundy talked about how I mean Chuba's Chuba's been banged up like I thought he, he's been hurt and he was hurt in that game and they showed him on the sidelines uh, later in that game and his his ankle's just not right he can't move the same way and I he had that one nice run in the game other than that he was completely ineffective uh LD Brown it's not like he lit the the game on fire either but I think LD Brown getting that ball would have been more effective uh that's a small one and then obviously there was later in the game when he punted uh inside the 40 so uh I don't know if you have any thoughts on that on that first one, the running play. I mean, we're this is this isn't an Oklahoma State podcast, but uh, no, I mean, I just it's kind of just more on Mike Gundy that the way that game played out, it almost it almost felt like over the last two weeks, Mike Gundy's been watching film and he thought to himself, "Ah, crap, man, we're not going to win this game. I we can't win this game." Like that's almost what it. Which I mean, you're right, but like. Aren't you going to try at least? And I, I don't think um, that the, the third and seven call is really like a, a good thing to point towards. I would have run the ball there too. Every time that they tried to, to back, you know, drop back to pass, Illingworth was under extreme pressure right away, and he wasn't he wasn't accurate that night either. So you know, I, I I can I can definitely rationalize that. You pick up four or five yards, you, you're in fourth and two. And I mean, maybe then you can do a lot of things in that situation. So um, I, I'm more talking about just kind of like the, you know, obviously the the punt, you know, and OU territory down by three touchdowns. They weren't going to win anyway, but like, why wave the white flag in that regard when there's still like over ten minutes to go in the game? It's just just a weird. Just he's he's just he's a weird dude, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, he's. And, I mean, Spencer Sanders was back in at that time when they punted. So, and, and I think Spencer Sanders is uh, – I, I think I think two things can be true at once. I think Spencer Sanders playing the whole game would have given Oklahoma State a better chance to win that game, but at the same time it would have given Oklahoma a better chance to force more turnovers in that game. Uh, I, I think Spencer Sanders plays a little bit more reckless abandon than Illingworth does. Illingworth just kind of just one read, throws it up there, and uh, – Hey, hope, I'm gonna hope I'll, for the best. Yeah, I, we can just kind of jump into this right now. Um, I'm not impressed by Spencer Sanders at all. He's not a good college football player. Uh, he just isn't. And I there's there's just there's just way too many way too many mental mistakes. And you know, I, I see the athleticism. I'm see there. I don't see the arm talent at all. At all. I don't. I don't understand what people see. Can can you help me? I think he's got a good arm. I, I don't. I don't have any problem with his arm. It's his his problem has just been he puts the ball in precarious situations. And for as many uh, years he's been in this program, I think this this is his I think third year in the program because he was a red shirt started last year. I know he was banged up. He got hurt, and then he's back this year. He's been hurt this year too. I mean his his injury, the fact that he's been injured a lot, that that definitely has probably stunted his growth a bit. But he he doesn't for being in the program as long as he has he doesn't seem as football savvy as he should be at that quarterback position I guess I I think if if everything if all if everything around you has to be perfect for you to be successful you're not a good college football player and at what point um you know is it uh he's he's dealt with now he had a different offensive coordinator last year he's got a different one this year with Casey Dunn 
Uh, I know. I mean, Mike Gundy obviously is an offensive guy too, but he's got a coordinator, so he's it's it's that it's Mike Gundy's offense for the most part. I don't know how much that factors in. Could be somewhere, but I mean, he's I, I I've well, watched not- enough Oklahoma State where he. He's more of a playmaker than so far Shane Illingworth is. I, I think even though he makes mistakes, he does. He he has the ability to to make plays that Illingworth doesn't have. Yeah, like I'm. He's I I don't think Spencer Sanders is like is a bad football player. He's not. He's he's not like what you know Kansas is going to trot out there at all. He's he has some athleticism. He you know he's he's made some plays in his career. The, just the consistency is not there and. In in the brief time I've watched his college football career, I've just seen way more bad than good. He just makes so many mistakes, and I, I think they completely overshadow the good things that he does with his athleticism. And I just, I mean, take Tylen Wallace away from him even last season, Lee, and I bet I bet he looked he would have looked terrible too. Looked he would have looked awful. Yeah, I mean he he was pretty bad, uh, very bad, good in that Texas game, and he was probably the reason why. They lost to Texas. I mean, he. Some of those turnovers were so bad against Texas, and Actually, and the defense played really well for Oklahoma State. And Spencer Sanders put put them in really tough spots. Actually, um, a, a really interesting kind of breakdown of of that particular game. Um, you know, one of my favorite Texas guys. He just the way he talks about football is interesting. Ian Boyd, you can go and read him on Twitter and whatnot. But he made a really interesting point about that game a few weeks ago. He said that the two most important plays of the game, the first one was was uh, Sam Ellinger's fourth and seven touchdown pass, kind of at the end of regulation, and then and then uh, the um, in overtime when Spencer Sanders got sacked by Osai to to end the game. Both of those plays, Lee, were were zero blitzes by the defense, and he did a really good job of pointing out one how Sam Ellinger recognized the zero blitz. And then he did everything in his power to buy enough time to scramble and then find the open guy by a, because he understood that he needed to account for that extra guy who was blitzing. And then uh, juxtaposed against Spencer Sanders, who when, he, when uh, he didn't recognize the zero blitz at first, but then of course when he snaps the ball and everyone's coming, all he did was just he just bailed and ran and got sacked. And that's, that's the difference. Yeah, I mean, that's a huge difference. It, it is crazy how, how similar both those plays were the the big difference to me and I'd have to go back and watch it again and, and I don't know if this was possible either way but the 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 reason why it worked for Ellinger from what I remember is when he ejected from the pocket he ejected to his right where the play was designed to go for Sanders I don't know if maybe maybe it was uh the design of Texas blitz where they they overloaded to his to the front side of the formation to force him to roll to his left uh, I, I don't know. I, I'd have to go back and watch that again. But that was the difference in that play because, you know, Sanders had to eject and the entire play was he had, he had one guy, I think Tylan, actually to to his side of the field. But Tylan didn't have enough, have enough time to recognize what was happening. The pressure to, to break off from the route and help him out. The pressure to Ellinger w- w- was was coming to Ellinger to force him to go to his left as well. The difference was Ellinger recognized it and got around the guy oh, and broke okay. contain. Yeah. And that was it. And And that was. Once he did that, I mean that's it was over because Oklahoma's uh, Oklahoma State's secondary obviously couldn't couldn't cover for as yeah. long as they needed to. That's yeah, that's my that that's kind of my new my new hot. Day. I just I I I really don't like Spencer Sanders as a as a college quarterback at all. I really don't like Sam Ellinger either. So I he's just not, and I've never liked Sam Ellinger. And you can go back and listen to this podcast ever since we started. And it's it, I will say it's going to be weird, but in a good way. Whenever he's finally gone from Texas. 
I'm just I'm tired of watch I his style of play. Anyways, that's a digression. Well, um, on 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 west of Everest, uh, we can always uh, we can always divert for some Texas bashing. That's okay. Uh, he has like in the past. I will admit, yeah, he he does do some things well. I, I get I get Sam Ellinger. He this is like his what fourth or fifth or tenth year at Texas. He's gotten worse this year. Like his accuracy is not good. I, I I just he used to, like that was his thing. Is like he just completed a lot of short passes. Is like close to seventy percent. He's not even doing that this year. Um, anyways, uh, okay. So the last uh, one from from uh, Gonzo Strangelove was about Buki. Let's let's table Buki for now because I'm sure others will have Buki thoughts. Uh, Lamont uh, at Lamont Six Nolo says committee should recognize. So uh, Lamont already thinking about the college football playoff committee on Saturday night when Oklahoma beat Oklahoma State. And they uh, did. And yeah, and, and go back to the start of the show. If if you fast forwarded to the Bedlam talk, we talked about the playoff rankings off the top of this. Uh, more from Josh. Uh, Josh has a few. Josh says, bye-bye, Gundy. I, is Gundy in, in danger of losing his job? I, I don't think he is. I think Oklahoma State would be very foolish to do that um, because they would only be, I suppose they wouldn't only be firing him you know, because of his 2-17 and 17 record against OU. That's what it is, right? Or is it 2-16? and 16? It's 2-something. and something. I, yeah, That, I that stuff to me, I, I, I guess my the way I'm wired, I don't really stats especially football stats i just don't really internalize them they don't like i'm just kind of like okay yeah like i know oklahoma wins a lot okay <laughs> you know so, so I, think, I guess I, I don't commit them to memory i i can't remember what the exact stat was but i think i think in gun in gundy's tenure i think they've only not gone to a bowl game once or twice and before that they they had only they had only gone to a bowl game like once out of the last 20 seasons i i it, i think they would be like what Oklahoma State is doing right now, their sustained success over the last 15 seasons is not normal for their program. And college football history suggests it would be really foolish to part ways with that. Be really foolish. I just, and I'm going to try to put myself in the shoes of an Oklahoma State fan right now. I, I think the smart, like nuanced Oklahoma State fans definitely get that and they probably agree. The frustration probably lies in the recruiting classes are just never up there. I mean, it, it, kind of seems like Gundy he doesn't he doesn't love it love that side of it as much as like a Lincoln Riley does I mean like Lincoln, Lincoln Riley will talk and tell you how much he loves the recruit and just he loves that that game and and, and I've been around you know for you know four ish years here at, at News 9 and obviously followed Oklahoma forever but you know not as in tune with Oklahoma State as I have been for the last four years it I kind of get that vibe that you know maybe if he like if if they're recruiting, like the, I guess maybe fans of Oklahoma State might be thinking we could recruit better than we are. Like we could do that better, and then if that happened, maybe Oklahoma State would be a lot more competitive against Oklahoma. Because like the fact that Oklahoma State nationally has still been able to be relevant, even without the f- being able to beat Oklahoma really at all, is really impressive. It really is, and uh, they're able to put guys in the NFL a decent amount as, as well. But for whatever reason, yeah, like the. Obviously, Mike Gundy and that pro- he always talks about the culture of that program. He has a type of person and a type of football player he likes to bring in there, and that's what he's been doing. And if you're not a blue blood, that's what you have to do. You have to have a system and you have to recruit to it. And you have to be very, very deliberate and very specific in what you're doing. And Mike Gundy, his, his bit has always been that he is very good 
at, at evaluations and recruiting and finding the diamonds in the rough that, you know, that everyone maybe kind of overlooks a little bit. And when you're at a place like Oklahoma State, that's what you have to do. And I know people are going to talk about, you know, all the, the nice facilities that they have, and they do. They do have really nice facilities. It doesn't matter. It does not matter when you are number two in the state to a blue blood. And I know a lot of people don't like to hear that, but you have to, you, you have to deal with the world as it is and not what you want it to be. And to Gundy's credit, the last couple of quarterbacks he's had in there, Spencer Sanders and Shane Illingworth, are a couple of four-star guys. And I don't think they bring in a whole lot of four, four-star quarterbacks in history. I, I, don't, I don't know what Brandon Whedon was. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to think back. I'm trying to wrap my brain now for, like, old uh, – I wonder, I wonder what, uh, what, what, what was also Poe guy? What was, how many stars do he have? I'm going back to the early 2000s. I don't know if stars existed back then. <laughs> But no, and like I, I don't, I don't want this to come off as like you know I'm, I'm like kind of talking down to you and saying oh, oh, they're there. You know, OU is in the same boat, just just on a bigger national level. They don't have, they don't have the built-in advantages that Alabama and Clemson has being in that region of the country. That's just you, you have to work with what you have. All right, more from Josh. Josh says defense looks strong. Uh, again, we'll, we'll talk about the defense later. Uh, you know, and and. Josh's last one is Bonehead Radley Hiles. Um, let's talk about Brendan Radley Hiles when we do defensive stuff. Um, we got Ben at Ben underscore Woods 15. Uh, I know Ben likes to, to leave us three-word reviews quite a bit. He says, a complete team. So very similar to an earlier three-word review. Let's stop right there. I want to stop right there because I, uh, I have a question to ask you. So, like, obviously you watched it and you heard Herb Street say that, you know, hey, this is, this is a more complete team than, you know, than the ones that went to the playoffs the previous, you know, three seasons. And, I, like, from a philosophical standpoint, I, I agree with you that there, there is a better mix of, like, for instance, this season, the offense is good and also the defense is good. And the same, that could not be said for their last three iterations in the playoff. But at the same time, I'm taking the 2017 team over this over this team 100% of the time. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, that team, even though obviously the defense was not good, it it did produce that that game in Columbus. It it actually showed up and played really well against Ohio State when it mattered and and shut down Ohio State as much as that team could have shut down Iowa State. It gave up a lot of points and a lot of yards. I mean, that Baylor game was an absolute disaster and joke when they almost lost to Baylor in Waco. Uh, obviously, the, there was plenty of disaster joke clown moments in the Rose Bowl. But that defense also scored a touchdown in the Rose Bowl. That, 20, that 2017 offense would do whatever they want against this OU defense. Yeah, that 2017 offense, man. It, Baker Mayfield would toy with this secondary. Oh my gosh. That was such a such a fun team. And and I mean their running back depth was you know with Rodney Anderson and Trey Sermon. Uh and I mean Rodney came on later and then you know Marquise Brown came on later in the year and, and with C D Lamb obviously and Mark Andrews and just I mean the whole offensive line with the exception of um Eric Wren are all NFL players. So I do think yeah. I do think this team r- right now, right like right this second is better than the 2018 and 2019 teams. Yeah. Just yeah. because I think I think this offense would literally score every single drive against the 2018 defense. Um, and I think 
the 2019 offense would would get bogged down every now and then uh, just because of the just because of how good this team is in the trenches. And um, obviously, the I mean, anybody that would push back on you would probably point out, uh, "Hello, Kyler Murray." Yeah, I mean, obviously, Kyler Murray in 2018 is awesome. But here's the thing, guys: Spencer Rattler is really good. He's <laughs> he's going to end up being like at probably minimum as you know health health you know if there's not a factor he's going to be a top five pick in the nfl maybe even the number one pick in the draft can we, uh, comes up so like we, yeah Kyler's great but also spencer rattler pretty great too and also also too he's going to be a heisman finalist this year hot take <laughs> i'm gonna i'm calling it he's gonna be i think i saw somewhere and i don't want to throw people under the bus um oh you know what yeah, I will throw someone under the bus because I work with this person, <laughs> and I'll talk. I'll ask him about it when I next see him. I think uh, Steve C. McGee had this. I don't know if he in uh, PTP on the Blitz. If you watch News Nine, you know about the the Sunday Sports Blitz. And I think one of his uh, percentage uh, play the percentages questions was uh, percentage chance that uh, Brock Purdy. It, I, I can't remember how he worded it, but basically it was like Purdy versus Spencer Rattler for the first team all big 12 quarterback and i can't remember what dean and john uh said but like that's a if the question was percentage chance spencer rattler is the all big 12 quarterback over um brock purdy the percentage is a hundred percent he's going to be the all big 12 quarterback so i and i can't remember what the guy said but that that's not even like a quite like he's going to be the number one the top quarterback in the big 12 yeah yeah i'm year. gonna I'm going to walk that back. I don't think he's going to be a Heisman finalist this year. I think it's possible. I think it's possible if he if he has an amazing last kind of three games of the season. Yeah, I don't um, think it's I don't think it's set in stone, but yeah, it's if he keeps playing this way and the the guys keep winning. Yeah, a lot could happen. Um can we Maybe. can we take just one minute to poke fun at uh the Pistols firing blog real quick? I don't know I don't know the exact the exact person who wrote it. Um, um I mean I mean I, I guess like they can they're happy to make fun of us too i i don't know anybody at pistols firing i i will give them a plug i think it's a good oklahoma state website so i i do read it from time to time to get some info so uh but at the same time i do not know anybody directly that works there but uh, i know where you're going with this because i shared you uh shared with you a an article before the bedlam game and it it was i mean it wasn't very good it was it was one of those articles that it was like you know five things to know about Bedlam this season or whatever, and uh, one of them was about the you know the quarterback battle between the two Spencers, and you know the you know the conclusion that they came to in that bullet point was that for the first time in a really long time Oklahoma State doesn't have a decided disadvantage under center, and I laughed uproariously when I got to the end of that, and you know to be fair to those guys again hey feel free to. Uh to bad mouth, you know, to, to criticize, you know, an article, an article, uh, you know, one of our podcasts, that's fine. Like I'll, I will take criticism. That's, that's only fair. Uh, Cause again, this is kind of off the top rope, but, but uh, in their defense, we didn't bring it up last week. We, we could have brought it up before, but we didn't, um, you know, we, we, we could have, you know, maybe there was some doubt in our minds that, you know, maybe they're, maybe they're right. You know, maybe, maybe Spencer Sanders is going to play really well. And maybe Spencer Rattler is going to turn the ball over a bunch. So, you know, we played it safe and we didn't bring it up last week. So, I don't think we have as much right to to make fun of them today as we could have. I I definitely think there's uh I mean there's there's got there's got to be a lot of Oklahoma fatigue just in the Big Twelve and the oh it's, absolutely it's it's, it's it's not just the Oklahoma State you know guys who have been saying this about Rattler it's like I just if any it's 
it hasn't sunk in yet that Spencer Rattler is by far the best quarterback in the Big 12, and it's not even remotely close. It's not even close. Uh, and it hasn't sunk in quite yet. Um, but because, yeah, I think people are just tired of it. I'm not. It's great. <laughs> yeah, but I, I definitely understand people that would be tired of Oklahoma, though. Um, all right. So we did Ben's three word review. Let's go to uh, Joel Morales on Twitter. Uh, good one. Clean up penalties. And for the first excuse me, for the first time in a handful of games, uh, really since the Texas game, I mean, penalties in the secondary was was an issue. It, it, and I was one of my kind of concerns going into the game. We talked about on the podcast last week because I knew that, well, I figured it'd mostly be Spencer Sanders, but they'd throw some, some jump ball, from, you know, 50-50 balls to Tylen Wallace, and, you know, will Oklahoma be able to make those one-on-one plays? And there are some times where they got flagged, and maybe once or twice it wasn't necessarily a good call or not, but it, it did happen. And it's still something that happens to this team. Uh, fortunately, it hadn't happened much until – Saturday night, but in a closer game, those can those will obviously bite Oklahoma. And really, if it wasn't for some of the penalties, Oklahoma State, I mean, may not may not even score. <laughs> I mean that I mean the Buki's dead ball penalty directly led to a touchdown. Uh, to be fair, Oklahoma State's definitely going for it on fourth down there. So you know maybe they pick up the fourth down and then they go in and score a touchdown. So who knows? I, I don't think they're kicking a field goal, uh, fourth and four, or whatever it was on you know on close to Oklahoma's red zone. Uh, and then later, whenever Trey Brown got flagged for a penalty against Tylen Wallace on third down, that extended that drive. I think they ended up getting a field goal out of that drive. And I know, I mean, that was very ticky tack. Uh, I, I, I get the call. I, I think I texted you during the game. It was to me, it was about 85, 15, not pass interference, but the 15 there of him just kind of stopping and grabbing and tugging a little bit. That's what got the flag. I'm I'm gonna I am gonna go to bat for Trey Brown here. That was a terrible call. That was utterly perfect coverage. Now, perfect it was coverage, perfect. Perfect coverage would would have not ha- involved him stopping and bear hugging him for a split second, which is sometimes it's all it takes. And it that sucks, was but. that was 100 percent a reputation call. Any hands on anybody, reputation call. That's all it was. I know the Big Twelve refs get a lot of flack, and I mean probably rightfully so. I was watching the. West Virginia Texas game before this and uh, West Virginia got jobbed on a fourth down they threw the ball into the end zone and the Texas guy was draped all over the the West Virginia receiver and should have been pass interference but no flag didn't throw it uh, you better believe if if that was Pat Fields or Trey Brown or Buki or Woody Washington that flag's coming out oh eh, you OU got kind of a questionable one too um on a, it was on, it was kind of like on a on a slot fade to Theo Weiss. I yeah. thought it was it was pretty questionable. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so yeah, clean up penalties. Um, Nathan at Soonerborn underscore ninety. Defense is real. Defense played well, man. Um, I think their front seven is real. Um, I I'm not sure they they have not faced a good passing offense yet this season. Um, they just haven't. And so I, I, I'm curious as to what would happen if, you know, if they do. But having one of the best defensive lines in college football is, is, is going is to cover up a lot of issues on the back end. And I think you're seeing that right now. But like, they're, on the back end, they're clearly better than they were in the early part of the season. I mean, no doubt about it. Yeah, they're definitely a lot better. And it's nice to see, because we didn't see this at all last season, 
there's a lot of new and different players in the secondary getting reps. I mean, DJ Graham played a lot at corner. I mean, Woody Washington's been playing a bunch since the Texas game. They've been mixing in the, in that uh, OSU game. They mixed in Trey Norwood a lot more. They played him at nickel. And then when they brought Buki back out, they would put Trey Norwood in for DTY at strong. So they got Norwood playing a lot more snaps. So uh, they're they're giving guys a lot more reps, a lot more snaps, and that that tells that should tell us that Alex Grinch is finally seeing that these guys are showing him in practice that they have earned the right to play real college football. Because last year he like if you if you show out in practice, man, Alex Grinch is going to play you. He is going to play you. I mean, they play so many guys at every single level, and we didn't see it last year. It was just Pat Fields and DTY and Buki. And Trey Brown and Parno Molly and Jaden Davis got got mixed in here. By the way, Jaden Davis was was out. I think I think COVID maybe they maybe reported. Sounds like it was COVID. I mean, we didn't we don't know a lot about it. And yeah. He was gone, so I think it's pretty safe to assume that was. I think everyone was COVID. I, I don't unless well, except for probably Stogner, who's oh yeah, I'm sorry, Stogner obviously was not COVID. Uh, but the the other three guys, I think oh there were more than three guys who were out. Uh, but I I, I think we can all safely assume that was COVID related. Uh, but anyways, yeah, I mean, they're going to get Jaden Davis back, obviously, at some point, too. And that's even more in the secondary. So uh, it is cool to see that. But but by far, that that is the weakest unit still. And I think you're right. They have not faced a good passing team yet. Uh, I think only one really good passing team exists in the Big 12, Oklahoma. So they're not going to have to face them. Uh, in theory, their opponent on Saturday is a good passing team. At least the statistics say so. West Virginia is averaging 285 yards through the air, second in the Big 12 to Oklahoma. Uh, so we'll talk about West Virginia when we get there. But uh, in theory, this this could be a test through the air. I, I kind of have my doubts, but I do think Jarrett Daggy is a, uh, a nice player at times. So more three-word reviews from you. Um, P23570. How about wrestling? <laughs> Obviously, Oklahoma State's really good at wrestling. They uh, they will beat Oklahoma at that, no doubt about it. God, that's hilarious. Um, <laughs> the the ghost of Mike Stoops <laughs> at Ghost Mike Stoops. I had never heard of that Twitter account. Uh, and this is even a three word review. This is just two words, but it works. Uh, poor Aggies. <laughs> uh, Jack Darlington says finally balanced football. Kind of, we talked a bit a little bit earlier about how this team is actually, you know, it's good on both sides of the ball for the first time in a while. Uh, Skip at Carter underscore Skip. Skip always is good for some three word reviews. That was awesome. Buki, 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 Boomer, freaking Sooner, and then lastly, fourth four call. Uh, I'm not sure which f- play that he's referring to, but that's on me. I think he might be he might be referring to the the fourth down I don't know the fourth like fourth down fourth quarter call I don't know it, I I think it's a Gundy reference him punting on fourth down oh maybe that's it I know that was like fourth and I think it was like fourth and eight when they punted and then they took the delayed game penalty to make it give him more room to punt <laughs> uh, Michael has a very like one we already had bye bye Gundy I, I just I don't think Gundy's gonna be gone. Uh, more from P two three five seven zero, who's always good for you know three four three word reviews, and it's always pretty clever. Um, I had to look this up, so I, I am not a big. Um, and this proves right here because I can't even think of the right uh, word for it. 
um, like epics, like Greek mythology. There we go. I'm not a big mythology guy. It's just it's never been. But uh, so I had, so his uh, three word review is OSU is Sisyphus, which I believe is a character in Greek mythology, and it's the guy who um, he's. A, not a great dude and he's and i'm gonna i'm gonna bungle this i know everyone that knows this i, I kind of looked it up earlier i don't have it in front of me but the gist is that not a great guy uh, i believe he was punished by this is gonna probably be wrong i don't know if it's the gods or a certain god or but his punishment was something i have heard before he for eternity has to push a rock a boulder up a hill and but every time he gets to the very top of the hill it rolls back down and he has to start over again so that's that's the uh, that's what Oklahoma State is. They're they're always get they're always pushing. They're always getting up there, but then they get to the top. It, it they never get far enough, and they got to start from the bottom again. That's pretty. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Uh, and lastly, I didn't get this. It's it's a reference to it looks like a movie, but uh, it's he says now we know. And so what do we know? Now now we know that Oklahoma's better than Oklahoma State. Well, we uh, whatever you're referencing, let us know. Uh, do you have any any ideas what he's probably referencing there? I'm not sure. Like I I. Is the is the screenshot there supposed to be from the movie? I kind of feel like if it wasn't potato quality, I would be able to pull it. <laughs> that's actually one of my that's actually one of my uh, uh, one of my biggest talents. It's a useless talent, but I I'm really good at like movie trivia and stuff like that. But I, I don't know what the the picture is. I feel like I could get it if I could see the picture. All right, I'm going back to Twitter just to to get it because this is going to probably bother us if we don't know for sure. Oh, no, it looks like it might be a, a television show. Um, season one, episode four of something. Maybe the show is called Now We Know. <laughs> Could be. Who is it? Like, is there, who, who are the people in there? Is it like a, is it someone that we would know, a star of some sort? I'm watching the scene right now. I, I don't recognize it, so. Yeah, the, the YouTube clip says Now We Know. So, again, I, I like, Whoever's listening to this and knows knows what this is is probably just yelling at their podcast player. Like you guys are morons. Come on, like sorry, I I don't know this one. Um, all right, so that's all the three word reviews for Twitter. Uh, we did have one from Facebook, and by one I mean multiple from Justin, who's always good for a few. Beat little brother, Rattler played well. We haven't really talked about Spencer Rattler yet. Uh, I mean, we did talked about the Heisman stuff, but. Um, you had mentioned that you think he he actually left some uh, some throws on the field in that game. Yeah, no, I mean there were just some there were a couple instances where he where he where was kind of taking shots to guys who were covered downfield. Uh, you know, just when Drake Stoops was wide open, <laughs> kind of underneath, uh, sort of like in third and medium and, and, and type situations. I, I mean it's it's one of those things that's like very easily seen on film. I I, I can't imagine it's going to be that big of a deal. Drake Stoops was wide open that entire game. <laughs> um i uh how pretty was his the uh the touchdown pass to make it 21 nothing to theo weiss it's about as that is it's about as indefensible as a, as a throw can be man i just you kind of you motion the receiver to the other side uh, it gives away man coverage and you have the single one-on-one matchup to the the boundary of the field and it's just spencer's like yeah all right i'm just gonna go ahead and take this easy little back shoulder uh perfect ball placement that's fun i mean that is that is about as high-level college football as you can get. Uh, I, I shouldn't say about as high-level. I mean, it, it's up there. It's, it's, it's in the, the top tier of, like, high-level quarterback play at the college football level, I think. And, I mean, towards the end of Kyler Murray's tenure at Oklahoma, he was doing that 
I mean, he did that all the time against Alabama. He back-shouldered a couple of touchdowns against uh, – uh, was it Savion Smith, maybe? Or is that the corner for Bama? I can't no, remember. No, it was uh, – in that game, I thought it was uh, – I can't think of the guy's wait, name. Wait, no, is it is it Patrick Sertan? He might have been one of them. Yeah, he might have been one of or the is guys he at that, Florida State. that CD was. It's a, it's, 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 there, it's, there was a Sertan on that Bama team, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, it was whoever whoever was on CD, he was just – it was – yeah. It was a bloodbath. So, yeah, I mean, it's not like we haven't seen Rattler know where to put the ball. I mean, he's done it for the most part all season long. And I mean, he just plays with such an incredible amount of confidence. And, um, I mean, it's – I think it goes without, goes without saying that if this Spencer Rattler was playing against Kansas State – and against um, Iowa State, and it's all just experience and snaps. Even without Ramondre Stevenson, I, I still think. I mean, they definitely win. I mean, they win the K State game. I mean, they, that they definitely win that game. Uh, Iowa State, still. I mean, I, I don't know for sure, but, uh, uh, but I mean, again, we all we all knew this was going to happen. This is not surprising. This guy what, had never played college football before as a starter. Of course, he's going to have problems, make mistakes, and we knew he was going to get better because he's just he's got all this talent. So it's it's everything is going according to plan. I, I don't know. Like it's it's not really that surprising. I mean, I I don't know. I mean, the thing is too. Like he's. I mean, he's he's already really good, and he's just. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that he can clean up too. And so. Yep. Yeah, I, it's it's uh, obviously you don't want to get too far ahead of yourself, but just knowing that you at least got one more year with this guy with like a lot of dudes around him coming back. That's hey man, it's I, exciting. That like for instance, like that back shoulder throw to Weiss. I mean. Like, can't you easily picture like that back shoulder throw? That's going to be Weiss's thing. I mean, he's so he's so long, and that's just not defensible. I mean, who, like, who knows what they can do if they just? Who knows what they can do in twenty twenty one? Man, if just Rattler and Weiss just throw that back shoulder over and over and over again in the off season, that's not you can't defend that. Yeah, here's the thing, uh, and I talked about this last week and and what Oklahoma should do and and how they should attack Oklahoma State's defense because Oklahoma State plays a lot of man coverage and what did Oklahoma do they did exactly what we talked about they 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 threw a lot of crossing routes a lot of motion identify man the back shoulder throw there Uh, Lincoln Riley when tasked to create an offensive game plan against a team that he knows plays a lot of man he's really good he he knows how to dial it up and the difference between the Peach Bowl with LSU, who plays a lot of man. I mean, what do we talk about before that game with the corner? I mean, LSU's corners played man every single play. You could you could run out that corner on every single play because they were just playing man. And Lincoln Riley, I he didn't take advantage of it as much as I would have liked, but I think maybe he would have if he would have had Spencer Rattler playing now back then. He, he was so limited with Jalen Hurts. You couldn't do the same kind of things you can do with a high-level quarterback. Uh that he's that he did against Oklahoma State. I mean, and and just it, it was it was kind of kind of too easy, and it was fun to watch though. And and I don't know if I watched the whole thing back at the first two quarters, but I mean, there for example, I mean, there was a play where Oklahoma went backwards on first down, and then the next play they called a, a tight formation. They dragged <laughs> Mikey Henderson across the formation, and his man got caught up in the mush, and he was wide open, and they picked up twenty five yards. Boom. Second down and 14, it's first and 10 now. I mean, that's not hard, not hard to call, not hard to, to see it's coming, and you just you execute, and that's what they did. More from Justin. He says, OU defense swagger. Uh, Big 12 driver seat. Uh, again, there, there are some, some random tiebreaker 
possibilities where Oklahoma would not make the title game if they went out. And that will require like a three-way tie between Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Iowa State, and then K-State, I think, winning out, which would require them to beat Texas. And then it would come down. And a credit to – I want to get this guy's name right because I don't want to say just this guy on Twitter because that's very disrespectful. Uh, Here we go. Uh, at Blaine Brown 24 uh, educated me on Twitter whenever I uh, I thought Oklahoma controlled his own destiny, but um, there are some tiebreaker procedures where uh, it would get down to the point where essentially it's possible that the K-State loss could keep Oklahoma out of the Big 12 title game. But uh, how do I say this? Oklahoma, if Oklahoma wins out, they definitely are favored to make the Big 12 title game. Hopefully that made sense. The, yeah, the, the the chances that they're in the Big 12 title game if they went out are are really high, very high. Yeah, but it's not 100%. Uh, championship November strong. Uh, looked complete team. The complete team thing is definitely a, a theme. And then finally from Justin, this is going to be the time we can talk about this. Um, Buki's dumb antics. I uh, All right, so it was just dumb. A, a dumb Buki play. He he doesn't really do much to prevent the stop. Like it wasn't a good throw. And then for some reason he starts to point at Dylan Stoner and then he points again. And then he starts doing the thing with his hands. Like he's talking and then he gets, he's flagged. I mean, it's, it's a really easy call for the official, especially with the fact that he's got a reputation at this point. I mean, you heard Kirk Herbstreet on the broadcast. I mean, if he knows he's got a reputation, then the officials know. And Kirk Herbstreet came down on him pretty hard. And I know, the Oklahoma fan base came down on him pretty hard. I, I tweeted out during the game, well, Kirk Herbstreet and the Oklahoma fan base has benched Buki tonight. Let's see if the people that are actually in charge of that do the same thing. And they didn't bench Buki. Uh, they did bring in Trey Norwood. Uh, it seemed like maybe like every other series at nickel. So it's not like he was playing every single series. I It was dumb. It's it, But after hearing Lincoln Riley today on Tuesday, and I don't have the direct quote in front of me, but he did at one point say, and I'll, I'll bring it up, um, actually, I'll, I'll bring up the Lincoln Riley quote because hearing Lincoln Riley today, and I texted this, Grant, uh, it definitely makes me understand more why he, uh, Buki's never like getting benched. I mean, for this stuff, like I, I understand more. And let, let me find the quote, and I'll let you, I'll let you go ahead and comment on it. I know that you didn't have as, have much of a problem with the penalty. It's not my my problem is just my problem comes just from from an area of self awareness. I'm. I'm frustrated that Buki is is still doing stuff like that when when he I mean he knows he has a reputation at this point in time, but at the same time, what he got flagged for was weak tea, very weak tea. But I, I'm I'm frustrated that he that he's not able to to just kind of lock in and, and just and just remove this part from his his game. It's it's frustrating. I get it. Like I, I get why everybody is 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 calling for him to be benched. I understand. I just I don't agree with it. Um. But yeah, I just I, I don't in, in a game like football, which is extremely violent, extremely emotional, flagging anybody for trash talk unless you're saying I'm going to kill your mom or do something like that is extremely weak tea. Extremely. And I mean, I get that standard. And if that was the standard across college football, I, I'm kind of I'm kind of sympathetic to that. Uh, I will I will be kind of the square guy. And I said this to you before off the air. Like you're not in the NFL. 
you're, you're still a kid. You're still a college kid. You haven't proven anything. Uh, maybe if you're in the NFL, you can kind of maybe get away with that crap because you're getting paid and, and you're at the top of the, the level. Um, and also, again, like he didn't really do anything on the play. It's not like... I mean, uh, it, was, it was good coverage. He he was he was blanketing. He he, he was all over Dylan Stoner. I, I I like I I totally get where everyone's coming from. I get it. I'm frustrated by the lack of self awareness as well. And also, like yeah, I mean, it, it directly led to points. Like you 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 know that stuff cannot happen. And I like I, I I do think that he should get benched. You know, every now and then when stuff like that happens. Um, I, but. Like man, I, I just, you can't live in a world where that's a that's a penalty. That's so weak. I, I just I, I don't I, I don't get it. I, I I don't get that at all. This is more me just kind of saying why is that a rule? Let them trash talk. Well, he did more than just trash talk. He he pointed at him twice. Someone, little, like, someone really like, needs to explain I've to like me. Never really, what is, I've never seen that. Someone really needs to explain <laughs> to me what is so offensive about being pointed at. How often do you see that? You never see people like... I've never really seen people. it, but also somebody needs to explain to me why that's offensive. Well, I mean, like you're just... Because it's obviously dis- it's disrespectful. I mean, it's taunting. I mean, it's a, it's a rule. You can't taunt. I mean, it's, you're taunting the guy. And, like, and then he did the whole thing with his hand like, like, like he's uh, talking smack. And it's like, oh, dude, you're the one talking smack. <laughs> Like Dylan Stoner might have said like one or two things, but you're the one that won't stop talking. Uh, and like I kind of understood more like in the past that he like he wouldn't get benched really because there wasn't much behind him. But he does have guys behind him. Like Trey Norwood can play the nickel. Uh, Jeremiah Cordell can play the nickel, although he didn't play the nickel at all Saturday. So I guess maybe we learned a little bit more about their confidence level in him right now. Uh, they feel a lot more confident in, in Trey Norwood. I guess yeah. I don't I, I don't want to be seen as like as as def- as defending the actions in this scenario, I, I guess I'm I'm more I'm more railing against the rule that says that should be a penalty. I, I just I don't like and I mean I'm not a, I'm not a trash talk guy. I would never talk trash when I you know when I would play football. I would never do it. But also I know that that's what you do in football. Like you 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 can't tell me the trash talk that's going on in the trenches is is not is not way worse than what was going on between Buki and Stoner. It's just ridiculous. It's like it's it, it is okay. What happened there? That flag was thrown because Buki is Buki, and in that in that regard, he needs to, he really needs to shape up and get his s word together. <laughs> Here's the thing: if that was the first time that's ever happened to him, I'd be just I'd be right there with you. I'd be mad. But there's a pattern. I mean, the dude's been doing it ever since he stepped on campus. So it's like, you, and so so here's here's where and I kind of teased this earlier. I understand now more why you don't see the uh i mean you don't see the public i guess discipline of buki and by discipline it would be like getting benched which like they took him off the field for that you know after that play but then uh, i i can't i think the next series he was back out there so it's not like he was benched for the whole game so like i mean that's like the public discipline that we could see as as people that watch the game is like oh you're not playing anymore and why that's not happening is uh today dean actually asked lincoln uh, about that and at first, Riley gave the the coach answer, and he said, "You know, there's a, there's a balance to it. Uh, you know, if you go out there and, and you play soft, you're going to get your brains beat in. But there is a fine line. We address those mistakes like any other mistake in the game. You're either doing stuff to help the team or to not help the team." He said, "There's nothing that a player does, or, or for that matter, a coach does, that's not great at every single game. And the grade is, did this help our team win?" Or did this team 
uh, hurt our chances to win. And that's all he said. But then it was interesting because some time went by and and Coach Riley decided that he he wanted to, to talk more about it. And um, he said, I know that Buki has taken a lot of grief and there's no question he's got to do some things better. And he kind of, <laughs> not kind of, he did. He, he, because uh, after the game, and just kind of a backstory, he, he did say this after the game. He talked about how, how Buki is a, a good team guy because he was going to ask the question and he said all these positive things about Buki. But of course, I mean, I don't, I, I guess I didn't read every single column about Oklahoma. I didn't listen to every single podcast. So, um, Apparently, it, it, Riley said, uh, this wasn't, you know, you guys didn't really write about that much on Saturday. So hopefully you're all right about this, you know, now. He said that, I don't know if we have more of a team player than, than Brendan Radley Hiles. He said that he stays late at practice. He helps out everybody. He said that he loves having Buki on the team. And the money quote from Lincoln today was that we're going to be a worse program the day he is out the door. So Lincoln Riley, Alex Grinch, Buki's teammates, because they, they talked and they said a lot of nice things about him today, they either are 100% in on this guy and they love him and it's, it's not BS, which I tend to think that's probably correct because we're not seeing him get benched. We're not seeing him you know, miss you know, four, five, six straight series and lose his job. They, they have made the decision, clearly, to take the mostly good with the bad with Brendan Radley-Hiles, and they're living with it, and hearing Lincoln talk today, and I wish I would have cut it so I could play it, but uh, it, it kind of opened my eyes a little bit. That's why we see what we see, because for whatever reason, behind the scenes, he's doing everything right, and I kind of believe it, because every time he talks to the media, he's like, he's, the, he's a bright dude, like he... It makes my head hurt because he'll say all the right things. He gets it, but then he'll do something really dumb on the field. And it's like, it, like dude, you. This is a cliche. But it's like, dude, you know better, but you do it anyways. So, do you really know better? And obviously, the Lincoln Riley's seen enough to know that yes, he does know better, and it's it's worth it. So yeah, and I'm I'm, yeah, I mean that, that's nice to hear from Riley. Um, and of course, I'm sure that a lot of that is him just sticking up for his guys as well. Um, but just, just one more thing on this. I just, I, I obviously, you know, there is a thing between Buki and the OU fan base. There, there just is, or at least portions of the OU fan base. And I think a lot of the ire that has thrown Buki's way is because of this perception that one, he does all of these, you know, dumb things with the penalties and whatnot. And that goes along with him also being like a bad player. And that perception is just 100% incorrect and call like, you know, call me, uh, delusional, whatever, but I'm an, I will go to bat for that. Buki is one of the best players on the defense, and he has been since last season. And just this, this mantra and this attitude that he is bad and he should be benched and there would be no repercussions for that is stupid. Period. I'm done with it. Well, I disagree with the last part. I think they could, they could bench him and they could play Norwood at the nickel, and I think they'd be fine for... I don't know if they'd be fine for the whole season, but I think they'd be fine to at least send a message to him. I mean, yeah, fine for like a, a series or two, sure. But like there, there's a there's a very... No, I, I think they'd be fine for a game. I, there's a I very think. specific reason why Jeremiah Crudell has not come, you know, has not played a lot, has not unseat him. Well, I mean, Crudell had, he'd started eating into the snaps up until Bedlam. That was, so. I mean, that was interesting how, 
I mean, maybe he took a step back because he, he had been playing a lot. I mean, Kansas, I mean, whatever. But he played a lot against TCU. Texas played, Tech and Kansas. And yeah. we know TCU's offense is nothing special at all. Um, but I mean, just, it makes yeah, sense, I, though, because they trust Trey Norwood. I mean, yeah. Trey Norwood. Like, I get that, it. I, I get the frustrations with Buki. He's like he, he's a small dude running out there with big hair, and he looks kind of silly every now and then. But I, I just that guy has made so many winning plays in football the last two seasons, and I don't I just don't get it. I don't get what people aren't seeing. I un, I understand what people are seeing with the terrible penalties and stuff. I get that, but I just he he's a good football player. He's good. Uh, all right, that's uh, all three word reviews. I think we've hit on. I kind of wanted to say that for last, obviously, because I knew we had a big bang there. But uh, anything else from the game that we haven't hit on? I'm trying to rack my brain. I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of stuff that that we've missed. Uh, I mean, you know what? We, we haven't really talked about Ramondre. Uh, I mean, he was great. Who? <laughs> I don't... R- Ramondre? We haven't really talked about uh, the dude. I mean, we... The dude, I mean... Yeah, he's just... He's a really good player. And I... I it's too bad that he hasn't he's only played the last three games uh but upside is that he is incredibly fresh same with ronnie perkins we haven't talked about really at all uh, yeah like our, they're, i mean they're, our, just, they're wreaking havoc yeah i and i and I, i'm very glad that people are starting to come around to what i've been saying since i don't know the end of last season uh beginning of this year i i mean if Ramondre would have played a full season he would have been the big 12 offensive player of the year period he would have been non-quarterback well, I mean, I think. Well, yeah, I guess. What am I? Am I confusing the two? Oh, yeah, you're right. Well, I mean, the, like, quarterback the, always wins that award. In I the mean. NFL, the offensive player of the year always goes to a skill position player, a lot of the times because the MVP. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. Oh, Sorry. Okay, yeah. okay, no, he would have been first team All Big Twelve run. He still might be, to be honest. <laughs> with you. Yeah, he might be. Yeah, probably will be. Him and Brees Hall probably will be. Brees Hall, yeah, Brees Hall. That, yeah, he'll, they'll probably give Brees Hall the benefit of the doubt because he played the whole year. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I, I kind of. Yeah, I oversold that one. I got I got the NFL in college. You something? What? Oh, yeah, I can't believe it. Just got the NFL and college mixed up for the <laughs> for the three hundredth time. Just got two levels of football mixed up. Um, all right, let's do. Uh, we don't have to talk about this much because um, it's not bedlam. But this is a big game. Uh, OU at West Virginia. Uh, last I checked, OU is favored by eleven on the road at night. That's that means sometimes there's a reason why a team is just favored by a lot and. I mean, that's telling you that Oak, I mean, they think Oklahoma's really good. Because, uh, I mean, West Virginia's a good team. I mean, West Virginia's not a bad football team. They are – Neil Brown's obviously doing some good things with them right now. Is this year two for him or three? Yeah, it's two. Two, yeah. Uh, so, I, I it's not going to be as detailed as, as last week. But I do have thoughts on, you know, both sides of the football. So, let's talk about uh, when West Virginia has the ball and OU's defense is on the field. This team has some sneaky good numbers offensively. But they have not played the two best teams in the Big 12. <laughs> You're going to just jump right onto it. Uh, so, okay, the quarterback, Jarrett Daggy. Dude's averaging 280-plus yards per game. They're, West Virginia is second in the Big 12 in passing. That surprises behind me. Behind OU. You, uh, yeah, you surprised me with that nugget. But here's what's surprising about it. I'm not going to sit here and say I've watched every single West Virginia game because I haven't. I watched the Texas game, and I've watched a little bit of the game uh, against TCU. And this passing offense to me is short, quick, get the ball out, side to side, take what the defense gives you. So I am just absolutely shocked that they're averaging that many yards throwing through the air because 
they don't seem to hit a lot of big plays, but then I went and looked at their big plays, and they actually do hit some decent amount of big plays. Uh, they've had 18 plays this year of 30 or more yards, and that's in the Big 12. That's taken out. That's not including their one non-con game against like like Eastern Kentucky or whatever it was. Uh, eight, so 18 plays of 30 plus yards in the Big 12. OU's got 20. So they only have two fewer 30-plus yard plays than OU has. So, I mean, they, they can be explosive. They don't really have, like, a scary perimeter wide receiver that I can, I can tell. They kind of spread the ball around a little bit. I think the, their top receiver only has, like, 400 yards receiving or something like that. And I feel like a jerk, uh, the Winston, uh, like a sophomore. He's kind of like a, a shorter, speedy receiver. Um, I, I just, I, it's a very interesting team. I, I mean, the running back, Letty Brown, I think, he, I think he's a good player. I, I think, uh, I think he's better than Chuba Hubbard right now because Chuba Hubbard again is hurt and not explosive. I, he kind of reminds me a little bit of LD Brown, the, uh, the, when LD Brown, and it's just a pure coincidence that LD and Letty, <laughs> LD Brown and Letty Brown kind of look similar as players. Uh, he's a good back. He's not like a, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> excuse me. He's not going to burn you. He's not going to run a four uh, three, but he, he's he looks somewhat big, two ten, might be a little somewhat tough to tackle. Good running back between the the, the tackles, averaging you know I think five plus yards per carry. Uh, but this offense, it's it's been successful, but it it doesn't really scare me at all. When it's I, I like the idea that Oklahoma, what we saw against Oklahoma State, how many snaps against the Cowboys, Grant, did you see every single defensive back up at the line of scrimmage? A lot. Playing press coverage. A lot. Like a, a vast majority of them. All the time. Like, that's going to be really difficult then for a team that likes the short, quick passing game when they're given cushion. They just hit five-yard outs, uh, curls, you know, throwing – um, screen passes, uh, swing passes, you know, side to side. Oklahoma plays up tight like they did against Oklahoma State, and they, they're successful. Oklahoma's defensive line is going to, again, get after the quarterback and get to him because Deggie wants to get rid of the football quickly. Very rarely does he hold on to the football. And, of course, they'll take shot plays from here, here you know, time to time, and, and they're not afraid to throw it up there against tight man coverage. But this is not a particularly confusing or – creative offense from what I can tell it's an offense that is death by a thousand cuts execution uh ball control which I was going to talk about that whenever we talk about the defense they hold on to the football a lot they have time of possession they hold on to the ball for over 33 minutes a game and so they just go down the field on you and they shorten the game but at the same time though they're able to put a lot of yards through the air it's a very confusing statistical team um, that's what I see from West Virginia. I, I think Oklahoma's defense, the way it's set up and the way they're playing again, I, and Oklahoma stops the run really well. Oklahoma's in a really good, good spot to make West Virginia pretty one dimensional in this game. Uh, they're going to want to run the football. Oklahoma has been very good at stopping that. And when they're playing tied up on these receivers and, and they're going to force Deggy to, to make some of the best throws of the season i'm i'm down for that i'm you know let him let, let's see if jared Dagan can beat him through the air i mean that's against oklahoma's 
probably weakest unit, so it's possible. But uh, I feel pretty good about this matchup between Oklahoma's offense and West Virginia's. Uh, or, I'm sorry, Oklahoma's defense and West Virginia's offense. Grant. Yeah, I mean West Virginia's offense is pretty similar to kind of what OU has been facing this season in the Big Twelve. Just not, you know, not a ton of explosion. And I know you're talking about the thirty-plus yard plays, but you're right. I mean, this is a team that is that is eighth in the Big Twelve in yards per play on offense. That's not good. And this is this has not been a good offensive league this season. So. Um, and I mean, this is also a team that has yet to play arguably, you know, maybe the two best, two best defenses in the big 12 currently as they stand. Um, you know, I, it's, well, they have played Oklahoma state, but it was very early in the year, very early in the season, very early in the season. I I don't know how much we can take from that. Uh, one of the big things that I saw is Jarrett Daigie's kind of a statue back there that, that makes me feel very good. Um, kind of like leap my, my trepidation with this game is is almost in the same sense as I usually would, you know, about going into a Kansas State game. Is I think West Virginia is a really well coached team, and I think it's really unlikely that they're going to beat themselves. But at the same time, I think if OU, if they can get, you know, and, and I'm maybe getting a little ahead of myself right now, if they can get a lead on these guys, as you know, they've done that this year. Even in their losses, they've had double digit leads in the first half. If they can get a lead on West Virginia, get up fourteen to nothing, twenty one to three, twenty one to seven, like that. And put West Virginia kind of behind the chains and force them to to hit you know shots downfield to win this game, letting OU's pass rush kind of tee off in that in that regard. I think this is a game that they can run away and hide from West Virginia if you know if if things go well that way. But also, my brain is telling me, yeah, it's a really well coached team. I don't know if Neil Brown is going to let them get blown out. Um, but yeah, I just West Virginia's offense just really hasn't it just doesn't impress me that much. There's just not a lot of stuff that that you're terrified of. Um you know, nickel and diamond OU down the field. I I could see why that would be a problem if OU allows a lot of space. I mean, but if they're up on the uh, if they're up on the receivers and they're being physical, I just I don't know, man. I I don't know how West Virginia is going to is going to generate enough offense, especially with a statue at quarterback. I, I I don't think he's a statue. He he moved a little bit against Texas. He, I, you know, I I did. Yeah, I, I saw him move. I saw him keep a zone read and stuff like that. But also, I mean, in the pocket though, he's not fleet of foot at all. He, he's not quick. Yeah, he's not a guy that I I've seen that's going to be extending a bunch of plays and rolling out and you know throwing on the run. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, that, yeah, that's not their offense. I mean, their offense is is quick. Again, designed. You know, one read hit like. Like quick, lots, hey, short lots, passes. lots of motion, lots of motion in their offense. Um, you know, but you're right. I mean, ton, like a lot of horizontal passes, a lot of screen passes. I saw. I think. Um, I think it's likely we're going to see a lot of draws. They they ran quite a few draws against Texas. Um, I think they're going to do. They're going to try to be crafty. They're going to do everything in their power to kind of slow down OU's defense in the sense of. You know, because OU is so aggressive, they're probably going to try to get them upfield, get them mm-hmm. going one way and go the mm-hmm. other way. A lot of counter stuff. Um, I, I, I think that's what we're going to see a lot from West Virginia's offense in this game. Lots of tunnel screens, maybe. Um, them taking shots downfield, Lee, you know, I don't think we're going to see a lot of that because I don't think they're going to be able to protect. Um, and, and I think that's going to be a theme going forward for a lot of OU's opponents. Well, there's shots downfield that I've seen are... They're plays where they're still getting the ball out quickly. They don't necessarily need to protect, but they just throw up jump balls. Like I mean, go. I mean, against press man coverage. Yeah, the one against Texas. The one against Texas was just a slot fade. Um, I mean, that's what Deggy likes to do, though. I mean, there's not a whole lot of. 
I mean, I'm, obviously they're in the playbook, but you don't see a whole lot of. Uh, but you know, knowing, but like, I mean, knowing that that's kind of what they like drops, to do to yeah. take to take shots. Can't you prepare for that and and have something ready for them? Like in those situations, you know, I. Um, listen, yeah, I, 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 I think West Virginia is a, is, is a decent team. Their offense does not run the show on their team. You know, their their offense is is very clearly just it's very clearly just supposed to be a caretaker for the ball and not make mistakes. Uh, so their defense can put them in really good positions. I mean, their their offense is is not particularly scary. All right, then let's transition over to the defense. And as we stand today, going into this game, West Virginia has the fourth ranked defense in college football. Have yet to play the two best offenses in the Big Twelve. <laughs> you just you're just stealing all the thunder right off the bat. Yeah, I mean that that makes a huge difference because we've we, we've seen how bad some of the offenses are in this league. Yeah, I just uh, you know even if you take away that non-conference game again against Eastern Kentucky, they're still number four in the nation. Uh, so like the defense, the numbers are there. Uh, this is this is interesting, and this kind of goes with what you just said. <clears throat> they have the best pass defense in college football. Only allowing 161 pa- <clears throat> pass yards per game. Uh, haven't faced Iowa State. Obviously, haven't faced OU. Although I will say they've uh, in the Big 12. I think Texas Tech is considered a pretty high, like as far as stats go, a good pass team. And Texas, and they held both those teams pretty low. Uh, but again, let's. And that was with Columbia at Texas Tech too. But to be fair, they did lose to Tech. <laughs> in Lubbock, which is kind of a bizarre, weird game. Unfortunately, there's no full copy of that on, on YouTube, I don't believe, so you get to watch the whole thing. But uh, I, I do think, uh, yeah, those, those caveats are important. They have not faced Oklahoma yet. Uh, guess what? Oklahoma State's defense was, I can't remember what they were ranked going into last week. They, do were, you know? they, were, they were top five in the country against the pass. Uh, so I didn't look at pass numbers, but, you know, I thought, hey, let, it'd be interesting to see what, Oklahoma State's numbers were before Oklahoma and then after Oklahoma. So total yards. OSU's defense was given up 311 per game before OU. After OU, now they're giving up 337. That's a plus 26. Uh, add 26 more yards. Uh, OSU was allowing 4.3 yards per play. Now they're giving up 4.7 yards per play. Almost, uh, almost a full half yard difference now. And uh, points per game. OSU is allowing 17.8, and now they're allowing 21.1. So that's a 2.3-point adjustment. And uh, it's pretty interesting because West Virginia, going into this game, the yardage is is different. I mean, West Virginia, 274 per game. OSU was 311, so that's a pretty big difference. Um, But yards per play and points per game were almost identical to what Oklahoma State was allowing before they played Oklahoma. What will the numbers be on uh, Sunday morning? I would venture to guess that they're not going to be as good uh, because this is a defense that when I watch it, Grant, it they, they run a 3-4 scheme. And I, I know they, and this is dumb, I, I forgot his name, but they they have a new defensive coordinator. Uh, there was offseason stuff that happened, so they had to change coordinators. And so the fact that their defense has been this good is pretty impressive. But... What I see here, it, there's a lot of chances for light boxes that Oklahoma should be able to have a lot of success running the football against this West Virginia team. Uh, remember how we talked last week about how, you know, in the Texas-Oklahoma State game, that when Texas handed the football to their running backs against the Cowboys, that 
those running backs had some success. Well, I'm going to say the same thing before this West Virginia game. Uh, when Texas handed the ball to its running backs against West Virginia, uh, specifically Bajon Robinson. Is that how you say his name? Bajon? Yeah, they had, they had a lot of trouble tackling Bajon Robinson. Uh, yeah, he had 113 yards and averaged nine yards per carry against West Virginia. And I want to emphasize, like I did last week, Texas is not a very good running team. Uh, and, and Ellinger had some success running the ball, too. They Honestly, they should have ran the ball more against West Virginia. But since Sam Ellinger is Sam Ellinger and they like to see him throw, they threw too much. Now, that game was uh, needlessly close. Uh, Texas, if they would have ran the ball more, I think would have been able to win that game by two possessions. Um, I, it it kind of reminds me of Iowa State's defensive scheme. You kind of keep everybody in front of you. You come up and they tackle well. They're aggressive. Um, and Iowa State's run defense, now that we're what, what be, eight games into the year, I mean, it's one of the best in the nation. I mean, it's, it's really good. And when Oklahoma played the Cyclones early in the year, they didn't have Ramondre Stevenson, uh, and they couldn't run the ball. And the offensive line obviously hadn't gelled, like Oklahoma's offensive line always gels as the season goes on. So now with Ramondre in the fold, I think this is a game where West Virginia's defense gets a bit of a wake-up call in stopping the run. Uh, I, West, Virginia, West Virginia's defense statistically has been better than Oklahoma State's this year. Um, we know the rush defense for OSU going into Bedlam was, was kind of slightly above average. Uh, I mean, this is going to be a test for the Sooners, probably more more than than Oklahoma State was in some facets. But but I do think that it, it's way more of a test for West Virginia in the trenches uh, and for those linebackers, because, again, you're going to be like Oklahoma State and sell out it to stop Ramondre. That's going to put their defensive backs who've been very good against the past this year, but they're they're going to be asked to do a lot against Oklahoma's perimeter players. And I I bet they're going to ask their secondary to win one-on-ones because they've had a great year covering but they haven't seen Oklahoma's offense and honestly they haven't seen really any good offenses to be honest with you I'm sorry like Texas and I mean they got beat by Texas um so that, that's what I've seen from West Virginia's defense uh it and also, yeah. I mean you're Austin Stogner maybe likely will be back if he was if he was just kind of right up to game time, you know, this past week and couldn't play. I, I would I would guess he'll probably be good to go this week. Braden Willis is still going to be there. Mikey Henderson is now newly established in this offense. We may have Jaden Hazelwood back if, if that was just a COVID thing and he can test out of that. Uh, it's, I don't know, man. It's, I really do think the Big 12, they, they had their chance in September and Iowa State and Kansas State got them. And I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if you can stop this train anymore. It's, I, I, think, I think West Virginia has better players on defense than Oklahoma State does. I, I really do. They have more talented players. Um, I, I just, I don't know, man. O, OU just beat Oklahoma State by four touchdowns, and they could have played way better. And this, I mean, this team loves going on the road. I, I, I don't think there's going to be a letdown here. I don't think there is. I, I, I can... I don't know. I, West Virginia's defense, of course. The numbers look good. They look really good. Um, I, I watched the entire Texas game. They did a pretty good job on Ellinger. And, like, you know, a lot of guys weren't open. Ellinger was having to throw to covered guys. Um, and, you know, I, I've seen them play against Kansas State as well. I, I watched that entire game. And they were impressive. They're good. They fly around the ball. 
But we always we always come up with this caveat now. Everyone looks really good. Every, a lot of people, every team can look really good on defense in this conference in spurts at times. And then you have to play Oklahoma. And that's that's just how it is. And I we're, we're going to learn a whole lot about West Virginia. Um, you know, I the, the Stills brothers are really good players. You know, OU is really going to have to account for those guys. But West Virginia has to account for Ramondre Stevenson. And I, Ramondre Stevenson, I quite frankly, is going to be the best player they've seen this season. Quite frankly, OU is going to have all of the best players they've seen this season. It's just a whole different ball game. So this is a uh, you were banging the the table saying Lincoln Riley don't get cute against Oklahoma State give the ball to Ramondre. It's my turn to do that. This is a game where they should be able to run the football pretty well. West Virginia's defense they don't play as much man from what I can tell as Oklahoma State. Obviously, I'm sure it exists in their their schemes, but they they like to play a lot of again. It, it kind of reminds me of the Iowa State scheme. They they keep everything in front. They come up and tackle. So they're going to be forcing or want to force Spencer Rattler to make bad decisions and throw the ball into uh, into coverage and uh, you know maybe and force it. That's how they win this game for sure. OU's mm-hmm. going to have to turn it over a lot. I, I think that's how West Virginia wins this game. But here's the thing, though: if Oklahoma runs the ball and they have to they have to commit more bodies to the box and they have to bring their safeties up a little bit towards the line of scrimmage and it it creates more of a more more space for guys like Marvin Mims and Theo Weiss. Mikey Henderson, and uh, it's it's not going to be easy for West Virginia. But I I will say, and you, you said you don't think there's there's that good of a chance for a letdown because this team likes to go on the road, and that's true. They went on the road a lot, although did that it got yeah obviously got snapped by Iowa State. Iowa State game they they got beat by Iowa State earlier this year. Uh, Kansas State too last year snapped the the road. Oh, K State, K State, yeah. Jeez, forget about that game. Uh, but here here is all like. This is a total textbook letdown spot for all of these reasons. Oklahoma State, blowout. Just blew out Oklahoma State, an emotional win over a rival at home. You're going on the road the next week. It's a night game. By the way, it's Thanksgiving this week, so there's some distractions. Maybe you're not uh, getting as much film study as you normally would because, I don't know, the holiday and maybe fan. I don't know. Uh, even though talking today with the guys, it's like, whatever. We do this every year we don't go home like we just yeah we're, we're used to this so that may not be that big of a deal West Virginia they've had an extra week to prepare and you talked about Neil Brown and their coaching staff they clearly are doing a lot of good things this year they're getting an extra week to prepare for Oklahoma in Morgantown West Virginia can play defense as much as I think Oklahoma's got the advantage West Virginia still can play defense and defense uh, I guess I was gonna say defense travels but they're at home so that's a stupid thing to say and they have a they have a veteran quarterback who doesn't really make a lot of mistakes. He's probably not going to beat himself. Uh, he's, he's a good player. So West Virginia has all the ingredients to pull an upset here. Oklahoma knows that. They are very aware. And with two losses, I will keep banging this drum. There's not as much, there's not as much pressure on Oklahoma. They're used to this. They know they're supposed to win. And they want to keep playing. They're, they're playing awesome. They're going to want to go have fun. And I'll, I'll transition to the end. I, I Last week we did, you know, what does the film tell you is going to happen? Or, you know, how about, like, you know, what's your gut feeling for this game? I, my gut feeling is Oklahoma plays really well again and, and wins this game convincingly. I, 
But hey, you know what happened the last time I thought this in Oklahoma was going to cover the spread and blow somebody out? It was Kansas State. <laughs> and I, I just I threw my hands up and I just I, I the difference though, I think I think now we all have a better feel of what this team is. But I you know what? I'm going to think back to that and I'm going to learn my lesson. I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm convinced and throw a hat down they're going to win it by a lot because well, I learned my lesson. Uh, that was that was dumb. I thought that was an easy slam dunk pick. Oklahoma was playing great. So even if Oklahoma was playing better now, again, my gut's telling me they should win this game going away. But uh, about 10% of my gut is also saying that two minutes ago I went over all the reasons why this is an, an obvious textbook letdown spot. So 10% of my gut's saying this is going to be a letdown. And going to be the fourth quarter and this could be not looking good because of all the like of all the things we just went over a few minutes ago all the ingredients line up so as I talk now I'm talking myself into I'm I'm a little bit more uneasy about this game than I was almost two hours ago when we started this podcast (laughs) well I mean you don't you don't need to do that like nothing of what we say here has any sort of bearing on the game as I always have to remind myself um no, I mean I'll 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 tell you straight up. I think this this team is rolling. I I, I kind of feel like, you know, I when OU is rolling like this, I kind of feel like I can I can point it out and I know when this program's in a good spot. Uh, Lincoln Riley earlier this week and his his press conferences and what he made a point, like he emphasized that there was a lot of not so good in their game against Oklahoma State as well, and you know they are gonna be banging that drum all week long. I think it's a cliche. Coaches love it when you when you blow teams out and you still have a lot to work on, and that's exactly what is going on here. So you have all that all those things to keep the focus of your team. You're going on the road, which this this program has built a culture of being road warriors, which is one of my favorite parts about uh, about Lincoln Riley and and the culture that he's created. Um, I'm gonna tell you right, like this team is gonna keep it going. They're they're gonna beat the crap out of West Virginia. They are. Uh, well, this they should. Is, um and. It, it, it's not because West Virginia is bad. It's not. It's just because this OU team has a lot of talent. They got a lot of talent in the trenches. Um, and th- they're rolling and they got a lot of confidence. And even like, even better is they're playing a lot of guys and a lot of guys have a lot of confidence. Um, uh, this, this OU team is really good right now. They're really good. They just beat an Oklahoma State team that a lot of, a lot of people thought was their best team in a decade. They just beat them by four touchdowns and it was a yawn. They they didn't they, they could have played so much better. They could have won that game by sixty if they wanted to. Uh, you know yep. I well don't get cute don't get cute don't get and, cute uh, mainly get cute. Spencer Rattler don't don't get a little too full of yourself because you're going to be facing a lot more zone this week, which will be more of a potential of him not seeing certain safeties in certain spots and maybe be able to jump in and. Yeah, it's and just, like, yeah, just don't, saying, just throwing it out there. Don't get me wrong. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not here saying that they're gonna they're gonna roll into the Death Valley and Clemson and beat Clemson or anything. Right now, it's not what I'm saying. I, I think I think they're they're playing a West Virginia team that that's like a fringe kind of top thirty, top forty team in the country on the road at night. I think they're a decent bowl caliber team. I think OU is gonna beat the crap out of them because <laughs> I think OU right now is is good enough to be considered for the the playoff. That's that's just where we are right now. All right. Uh, anything else? We already did playoff stuff, so we've got that behind us. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll add just one more thing. Um, 
if there is any sort of trepidation in my mind, it's only because just this. Eventually, they're going to lose to West Virginia in the Big 12. Eventually. That's the only thing that I can think of right now that is giving me pause. That's okay. it. All right. Well, I think that's, uh, that's it for us today. We hope that you all have a very happy Thanksgiving. Uh, if we w- would not be doing this podcast now for going on two hours, maybe we would get into our, our hot Thanksgiving takes like we always like to do around this time of year about Thanksgiving food. But uh, it's, yeah, uh, maybe another time. Until then, uh, you know, Grant and I will be back, you know, next week with our thoughts on whatever's going on in the world and probably mostly college football. So until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.